0: It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. You may be seated. If you would take your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, chapter one. Romans, chapter one, in your Bible. While you are turning there, it is a privilege this morning to have my mom and dad with me. The uh, older couple, beautifully old couple, sitting on the front. Mom, Dad, if you're able to, would you stand? Would you welcome my parents to Canyon Ridge this morning? My parents' standing is a miracle, and so, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, my dad, we'll have the honor of hearing from my dad tonight in our 5 o'clock service, our uh, church. Sometimes we call it our family service. It doesn't mean it's for families. It means it's for part of the kid and it's family. You say, well, who's that? If you're here, you're part. I'll say it again because some of you are slow on the draw here, all right? If you're, a he- if you're here, you're a part of the family, yeah, that's exactly right. So I want to encourage you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. I'm excited to hear my dad preach. My dad just retired from uh, pastoral ministry, just under 50 years of pastoral ministry. When he started in pastoral ministry, he was 6'4". He's now 5'7. It just took inches off of him. And so uh, we uh, thank the Lord for sure uh, for uh, my parents and excited to have them. Also, um, our newest staff members uh, have finally arrived Gloria and Charlie uh, Hughes. I say Gloria because she's my sister. Uh, Charlie and Gloria Hughes, would you guys stand with us? Would you welcome them to Canyon Ridge? Many of you know them. Gloria will be starting tomorrow at Ridge City Preschool and Daycare. We're very excited about that. Please be praying for her. Uh, We uh, have roughly 70-ish families in our daycare, and uh, most of them do not know the Lord as their personal Savior. And our prayer is that through her ministry and Bree and the other ladies from Canyon Ridge that work there, that many, many families will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at our daycare. So we would ask and Appreciate you to pray with us and for us for that endeavor as we seek to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Well, Romans chapter 7, chapter 1, verses uh, 18, we looked at last week in our verse by verse study through the book of Romans. And uh, last week we saw that this big idea, and that is this when you reject God's truth, you will face God's wrath. That's the big idea or the overarching emphasis of verse number 18, where the Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. To reject God's truth is to incur God's wrath that's not your pastor trying to be unkind that's just what the verse means and uh, I promised 18 years ago now almost 19 years ago that we'll go verse by verse through books of the Bible and that we won't overlook any of the hard ones and so we're not going to and today is certainly in the next few weeks are going to be some difficult passages in the scripture to deal with because their difficulty makes them no less God's word they are still the word of the Lord. As we come to verse 19 this morning, we need to remember that the first 17 of the book of Romans, chapter 1, the first 17 verses in Romans, are really an introduction. And so we, we're, we're getting into now the meat of the book of Romans. And um, it is not an easy passage for most folks. It is a very, if you will, difficult passage. Truth be told, this passage that talks about wrath and judgment and vengeance, they are all a part of the character of God. Every part of them. They're as much a part of the character of God as his grace, mercy, and love. Now, the scripture is clear. God does care about every person. God is loving. God is merciful. He is love. I would submit to you on the authority of the scripture, the Bible calls, says that very phrase, God is love. The the, the very attribute of love and the very concept of love is wrapped up in the person of God. But that does not mean that he is not just, and that does not mean that an equal part of his character is also that of wrath. In verse number 18, the definite article you see, the wrath of God, is a description of his character. He is wrathful. Now the word wrath is not the same as we would think of ourselves. The word wrath is the Greek word orgē, and it means the divine judgment to be inflicted on the wicked. It is the settled, it is determined indignation. The judgment is already clear. We looked at it last week. We don't have time to repreach the whole idea, but it is it is a settled, determined indignation or divine judgment of God inflicted on the wicked. It is not the momentary emotional. Outburst of uncontrolled anger to which human beings are prone. That's the word thumos. Your neighbor threw a can of soda at you because you parked in his lawn. That's thumos. That is not God's idea of judgment or wrath. The Bible is very explicit on this point. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 Talk about this very clearly. Some 50 verses, that's five zero verses, deal with God's judgment on those who violate His word or His commandments. In response to Jeremiah's plea for vengeance against his enemies, God said this in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse number 3, And say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. The whichsoever heareth, his ears shall tingle, because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place and have burned incense in it to other, unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocent. They have brought all this ungodly character and all these ungodly acts into the temple of God. Verse number five. But they have built also high places to, of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the day comes days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the counsel of Judah in Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of them that seek their lives and their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beast of the earth hardly what they wanted to hear but it wasn't just Jeremiah Isaiah said behold the day of the Lord cometh cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it Isaiah thirteen nine. Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3, God is jealous, another part of his character, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, he reserveth wrath for his enemies, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storms and the clouds are the dust of his feet. I want to be very careful here because I don't want anyone to think that these are simply Old Testament realities. It should be noted that that the New Testament is equally vivid with the wrath of God. As a divine attribute, John the Baptist talking to a group of Pharisees dismissed them with these scathing words. In Matthew chapter 3 verse number 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance." A short while later in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he said this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Talking about Jesus, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat unto the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Later John the Baptist still speaking talked to a was telling a group of inquiring Jews this in John three thirty six He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. Luke chapter 13, verse number two, Jesus answering said unto them, this is Jesus talking here to a group of Galileans. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. Well, what did they suffer? King Herod had had allowed and they had allowed for, or, or I'm sorry, the, the Romans had mixed some of the cultic practices of Rome with the sacred practices of Judaism. They had mixed the blood from the offerings and the Galileans had allowed it and it was scandalous in that day it was beyond scandalous in that day and the Galileans were ridiculed and mocked for it and Jesus said you think in verse number 13 that the Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things I tell you nay but except you repent you shall all likewise perish. Or of those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell. 18 people were killed by the tower of Siloam when it fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? These are Jesus' words. I tell you nay or no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And the word perish here means to perish eternally. To be deprived of eternal life and to experience eternal death in hell. That's not exclusive for these few men. Jesus himself, obviously the incarnate God, the uncreated one, the personification of love, the perfect picture of divine love, that's who Jesus is, spoke more about eternal judgment in hell than any other writer in the New Testament. And he probably spoke more about that subject than all of them combined. I'm sure this repeated in the epistles. Turn over to Romans chapter 2, one page over, verse number 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse number 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Turn a little bit more to the right in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Don't lose your place in Romans chapter 1, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6. Let no man deceive you with vain. The word vain means empty, worthless, foolish words. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. You say, well, what is he talking about? Well, verse number 1 of Ephesians 5, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given unto us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, you say, what's fornication? It's the Greek word porneia. It's any sexual activity outside of marriage. Yes, including pornography. And yes, including your thoughts. That's the word. Flee fornication. And all uncleanness, that's graver form of a, of, uh, uh, of pornea or covetousness. And let it not be once named among you as become the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God... That's what he just said, no whoremonger, no dude sleeping around, no dude partying, no friends with benefits, no Netflix and chill, no dude getting on Pornhub, no lady getting on Pornhub, I mean that's just what he's saying here, I'm not trying to be anything other than clear and kind. For this know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. And then he says this, through the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul says to the church, and let no man deceive you with empty, worthless words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't let any silly person captivate you. Don't let somebody lie to you. That's what he's saying here. He's he's not trying to be unkind. He's just trying to be clear. The author of Hebrews helps, helps us out with this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. The scripture says, For if we sin willfully, after that you have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and of fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Well, sin willfully, pastor, what does that mean? I sin willfully? Well, really, in this context, it means if you hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and willfully and intentionally reject the gospel, there's no more sacrifice for your sin. There's nothing else that can be done. What more would you want God to do? You rejected the gospel. You rejected the overtures of grace. You rejected the overtures of love. I mean, seriously, what else do you want God to do? So there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. All you can look forward to if you reject the gospel of God is verse number 27, a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. And those are not metaphorical. Those are not metaphors to say bad things will happen to you, you'll get the flu on Tuesday, and you'll get botulism on Thursday. That's not what he's saying. No, no, no. True judgment of God and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. And time won't allow for me to look at Revelation 14, 9 to 11, 22, 14 to 15, 18 to 19. There's so many passages in the New Testament. I just think that sometimes it needs to be clear that there are not two gods in the Bible. And sometimes people say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. He's the judging God. I'm the God. I like the God of grace. Well, I, I mean no disrespect by this, But if you say that, you don't understand the gracious attributes of God throughout the Old Testament. And you don't understand the wrathful attributes of God in the New Testament. He is the exact same. He is unchanging. He is immutable. His character does not change. It can't. If he changed, he would not be God. No, certainly we're in a different, what we call dispensation, but people still get saved by grace through faith. Look, in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Christ's coming, the Messiah coming. In the New Testament age, the church age, we look back at what Christ did on the cross. The only thing that really changed is the direction of the look. One looked forward prophetically, we looked backward in history, we have the fulfillment, the book of Hebrews is very clear. The, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. We have received the promise of Christ, but understand this, they character of God is unchanging. Well, pastor, why would many want to deny the existence of God's wrath? It's got to be a problem. Here's what people say. Man, these days people are denying the existence of God's wrath. Well, it's always been that way. This is not new. This is, this did not come about in 2021. This did not come about in, well... Ever since the 60s, the Beatles brought this about. No, they didn't. This has always been the case. People have taught basically two basic things to ignore God's wrath. They taught one thing called soul sleep. Some, a little bit different, but similar concept is what we would call annihilation. Soul sleep is basically this, that this is what these purveyors of this heretical doctrine teach that when you die you simply go to sleep and that's all there is you live you die you go to bed for eternity that it's all over that's one thought some say when you die it's just all over you just cease to exist but the soul sleep people and I don't understand that you sleep forever I mean do you get to roll over I don't know You get a blanket, a pacifier. I mean, there's so many questions I have for those folks. Soul sleep. The other thought is what's called universalism. Universalism is the belief that because God is so loving and so gracious and so kind that he would not send anyone to hell and everyone will eventually get to go to heaven. Universalism. Everyone gets to go to heaven. Popot gets to go to heaven a child that passes gets to go to heaven. Everybody just gets to go to heaven. Hitler, heaven. Mussolini, heaven. Stalin, heaven. Nothing matters. Everybody gets to go to heaven. You say, pastor. No. Well, the head of a department of a evangelism of a major denomination in America not too long ago said this. We don't need to evangelize the people of the world who have never heard the gospel. We simply need to inform them that they are already saved couple of years ago, Debbie and I were in a very large, or I was in a very large church. Debbie wouldn't go with me, which is the only time in our marriage she refused to go to church with me, but she had already preached four messages to me that day. She had her fill, I guess, but uh, we were in Washington, D.C. with some friends of ours, and uh, it was a Saturday night service, and she wanted to walk the mall of Washington, D.C., and I, I was hot, and so the church had air conditioning, So I went to the church, and she walked with them all, and me and my friends, and we went there, and it's very popular, very well-known. The pastor has authored any number of books, very, very popular. And as we went there, the man who was speaking who was not the pastor, but the only reference he ever made to the souls of man was this, aren't you glad you're forgiven? And then I thought, well, that's yeah, I am, but that's kind of short-sighted because there was a lady right next to me who I knew wasn't saved because she had told me uh, and uh, we hadn't had a chance to really talk. We just met one another briefly right before the service. And she told me she was not a believer, but she came to find the truth out. And, uh, and then the, the guy said again later on, aren't you glad you're forgiven? And people clapped. And then aren't you glad you're forgiven? And people clapped. And then aren't you glad you're forgiven? People clapped. And then as they left, aren't you glad you're forgiven? Implying repeatedly that you are forgiven regardless of your acceptance or rejection of Christ my friend, I was irritated, and halfway through the service, that lady, dear lady, got up and walked out of the service, I never saw her again, we're trusting that the grace of God will minister to her in some way, but I never saw her again, and I thought, well, this is a one-off, it's just, it just happened, the very next week, the very next week, one of my friends from the west coast was in the same town, he said, hey, I'm going to go to this same church, and uh, he went there, he asked me about my, you know, experience, I said, I'll tell you, after you go, he went, and he had the exact same experience, what were they doing, they were teaching university, Universalism that everybody is saved regardless of what happens. The Times of London reported, this was years ago, that 14 church study groups in Woodford, England, in the London area, looked at the Old Testament Psalms and concluded that 84 of them were unfit for Christian consumption and singing. Their reasoning was the wrath and vengeance of God reflected in the Psalms was not compatible with the Christian gospel of love and grace. People don't want to hear that, they, they assume or they surmise. And so rather than having them a confrontation with the character of God, let us then remove any vestige of wrath or remove any vestige of judgment, and then we'll keep everybody happy. But truth be told, wrath, judgment, and vengeance are as much a part of God's character as is grace, mercy, and love pastor, this bothers me. Why would anyone reject the concept of the wrath of God when it's clearly taught in Scripture? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the natural man receives not the things of God. The unsafe person doesn't want to hear about God's wrath. Regardless of what they do, they would rather hear that, that no matter their behavior, they get to go to heaven. Christian liberalism these folks don't take the scripture at face value. In the words of one prominent liberal theologian, Robert Shuler, said, when you read the Bible, you have to take, the, have to take the meat and spit out the bones. And the bones were really anything you don't like. And this is a direct quote. And some people just don't want to share their faith. The denial of God's wrath removes the purpose and the motivation for witnessing. And most importantly, the wonderful reality that a loving God will save a sinner from eternity in hell hell, if they will only agree with God that they have sinned against him and believe the gospel. Throughout the ages, folks have given their lives... So that others may hear the gospel and be saved from the wrath to come. They understand the judgment, the justice of God. They live to proclaim that justice... Give the hope of eternal life that others would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and acknowledge that they are a sinner and turn from trusting in themselves and submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I mean, people the world over have done that. You and I are beneficiaries of that. John Knox pleaded before God, that great Scottish preacher, give me Scotland or I die. A young Hudson Taylor contemplated the fate of the unreached multitudes in China and earnestly prayed this. He said, I feel that I cannot go on living unless I do something for China. Upon landing in India, Henry Martin said, here I am in the midst of a heathen midnight and savage oppression. Now, my dear Lord, let me burn out for Thee. Adniram Judson, the famed missionary to Burma, spent long, tiresome years translating the Bible for the Burmese people, was eventually put into prison uh, because of his work of translating the scripture. And while there, his wife died. After being released, he contacted a serious disease that zapped him of what little energy he had left. Nevertheless, he prayed this Lord, let me finish my work. Spare me long enough to put the saving word into the hands of these people. James Chalmers, a Scottish missionary to the South Sea Islands, was so burdened for the loss that someone wrote of him after his death. In Christ's service, he endured hardness, hunger, shipwreck, and exhausting toil, and did it joyfully. He risked his life a thousand times and finally was clubbed to death, beheaded, and eaten by men whose friend he was and whom he sought to enlighten. Robert Arthington, enabled countless of missionaries to go. By working hard and living frugally, he managed to give in this early or mid-1800s over $500,000 to the work of foreign missions, multiplied millions in today's funds. By working hard and living frugally, he gave over $500,000 to missions. And when asked, he testified this, gladly would I make the floor my bed, a box my chair, another box my table, rather than that men should perish for want of the knowledge of Christ. Alberta Skinner in the 1930s was serving in the eastern, the far eastern part of Czechoslovakia with the Bible Christian Union when Russian communists moved in and annexed that section of the world eventually or that section of the country making it part of the Soviet Union. The communist seized the Moody Bible Institute graduate and told her this you can leave and never come back, or you can stay and never leave. She stayed. For many years, the Bible Christian Union didn't hear a word from her. She lost all contact. All financial support was cut off with her family and friends. The communists would not allow it in. And the the fear, her friends at the Bible Christian uh, Union feared that the communists had killed her. They didn't hear from her for 25 years. Until one day, she called the international headquarters of BCU in Pennsylvania She was on the line. She had been allowed to remain behind the Iron Curtain. Though ridiculed and persecuted, she continued to faithfully serve the Lord, reach people for Christ. She started working with a godly Russian pastor who would eventually marry. They would marry one another. They had six sons. I don't know if that's judgment or joy. (laughs) Due to their outspoken faith in Christ, they were forced to live in a small wooden structure with a dirt floor. Despite her very austere surroundings, they joyfully served the Lord and raised a family. Souls were saved, churches were planted, and Christians were strengthened. In 1969, some 35 plus years after she lost all contact with everyone, in 1969, she was allowed to return to the U.S. for some much needed dental work. And the communists told her this, either you return to Czechoslovakia or your son's and your husband's lives are in jeopardy. When she called the mission office that day, that first time, the report from the secretary was that she didn't complain. She showed no self-pity. She praised the Lord for his faithfulness and one of the officials at the Bible Christian Union to understand that she was fine. When she received her dental work, she returned back to Czechoslovakia and there she died. Why would folks do this? Why? Why would John Knox or Adoniram Judson, why, why would Alberta Skinner or Henry Martin give their life? And they are just a few. We could talk about hundreds and thousands of folks. Why would they do that? Verse number 19. Because of the clear revelation of God. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them which may be known. Here's the idea. God is knowable. God can be known by man because of his power in creation. Now, there are many things that we'll never know about God. He, He is, But he has still revealed himself to mankind in such a way as to fill the full longing of every man's heart and to satisfy the question of the greatest honest skeptic, that which may be known. You say, well, I want to know everything about God. It's impossible for you to know everything about God. It's impossible for me to know everything about God. But he has revealed himself in such a way that he is absolutely known. And the scripture is clear. That which may be known of God is manifested, is shined or made apparent or made plain. God has made himself apparent. He has shined the light of personage. He is shined the light of his personage to people. Who is he shined that light in? Look at verse number nine. In them, because that which may be known of God Is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. In them. Who's that referring to? Verse number 18. The unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God has made himself known or manifested or apparent to all that are ungodly, all that are unrighteous. He has shown himself to them. And so he uses these two redundant words, and we know that Hebrew writers, when they use redundancy either in concept or in thought, are drawing emphasis to a point. So Paul is helping the, 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 the church at Rome to understand this and in his dramatic way of writing this, in his reasoned way. As an attorney, he is writing this. God has definitely made himself known to the unrighteous and the ungodly. As a matter of fact, he goes on in verse number 20, For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Four is a continuation of thought about the knowledge of God. There's a chain of reasoning that began in verse number 19 about the knowledge of God. And Paul is continuing that. And we will see that for, for some time to come. He continues this about the knowledge of God. And, and God has made the invisible things of him from the creation of the world clearly seen. Invisible, that which can't be seen with the human eye. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world. From the sum total of creation. From the beginning of creation to the end. That six full day period. God has made the invisible, the invisible things of himself seen to man. The world does not simply mean the planet on which we live, but it means the earth, the heavens, the universe, the entire, it's the Greek word cosmos. It's everything involved in creation. And they are clearly seen. Not only are they clearly seen, verse number 20, but they are also understood. For the invisible things of God are clearly seen from the creation of the world. Um, Being understood, perceived, grasped, comprehended, whatever word you want to use, you understand it. Before the advent of the telescope or the creation of satellites, men could look at stars and determine their sea-going voyages simply by the stars in the sky. Men could observe that you take a small seed off of a tree and you put it in the ground and it will grow and it will produce whatever kind of fruit that you wanted it to. Plant a pomegranate seed, you get pomegranates. Orange, you get oranges. Kumquats, you get irritated. Once you get them, they could see the marvelous cycle of the seasons, the summer and the fall and the winter and the spring and the summer and the fall and the winter and the spring, and they could measure it out. That in three-month seg- segments, basically, you would have summer, fall, winter, spring. Some people say, in California, I don't like the fact that there's no seasons. You haven't lived here long enough. We definitely have seasons. It's a 10-degree window winter is 10 degrees cooler and it's cold and we all have a light jacket for those horrific days. They witnessed, man, the marvels of human birth. The glory of a sunrise and a sunset. They are, verse 20, clearly seen. Psalm 19.1 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. You say, what are the heavens? The stars, the region above that we see at night. The firmament, what's on this earth, shows his handiwork. I'm told that there are some birds are able to navigate by stars. Even if they are hatched in a windowless building, it They never see the light of day, natural light. They never see it. You put them in a windowless building, and then you give them, and and people have done this, you give them an artificial sky. They will orient themselves to the proper place in which they're supposed to migrate. Every year, sometime between March and April, in our backyard, we have these beautiful yellow Orioles that come every single year. I bought binoculars just so that I could see them. They are so bright and so beautiful. I've never had to put out a vacancy sign for them. They know right where to go every year. I talked to my neighbors who have lived there for 10 years longer than us, so almost 20 years. They said every year for 20 years, these birds come to the same spot. The archer fish, if I was a fish, this is the one i want to be. But I'm not. But the archer fish is able to fire drops of water with amazing force and accuracy, knocking insects out of the air and able to eat them on top of the water. If I had to be an insect, I want to be the bombardier beetle. It separately produces two different chemicals which, when released and combined, explode in the face of an enemy. Yet the explosion never occurs prematurely and never harms the beetle itself. If you think that that's just by chance, come on. What if that beetle just messed up one time? Literally would have blown his own face off. At any given time, there are an average of 1,800 storms in operation in the world. The energy needed to generate those storms amounts to an incredible figure of 1,300,000,000 horsepower. That is being expressed throughout our world at all times, basically, just one of those storms producing a rain of four inches over an area of 10,000 square miles would require energy equivalent to burning 640 million tons of cool to evaporate enough water for such rain, and then to cool those vapors, because you'd have to evaporate it and cool to create rain, and then to cool those vapors and collect them in clouds would take another 800 million horsepower of refrigeration, working night and day for 100 years, and God does it late. Architectural studies have determined that the average farmer in Minnesota gets 407,510 gallons of rainwater per acre per year, and God doesn't charge them. The state of Missouri has some 70,000 square miles and an average 38 inches of rain a year. That amount of water is equal to a lake 250 miles long, 60 miles wide, and 22 feet deep. The U.S. Natural Museum has determined, and they're always adding to this, but there are at least 10 million species of insects, including 2,500 plus varieties of ants. And there are about 5 billion birds in the United States among, I mean, think of that, 5 billion birds, not species, but total number of birds among are some species that are able to fly 500 miles nonstop across the Gulf of Mexico. Mallard ducks can fly at 60 miles an hour, eagles fly at 100 miles an hour, and Falcons can dive at a speed of 180 miles an hour. The earth is 25,000-ish miles in circumference, weighs 588 sextillion tons. That's a lot. And hangs unsupported in space. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision and careens through space around the sun at a speed of 1,000 miles per minute in an orbit 580 million miles long. The head of a comet may be from 10,000 to 1 million miles long with a tail 100 million miles long and travels at a speed of nine sorry, 350 miles per second. If the sun's radiant energy could be converted into horsepower, it would be the equivalent of 500 million, million, billion horsepower. Each second, the sun consumes 4 million tons of matter. To travel at the speed of light, 186,281 feet per se- miles per second across the Milky Way, the galaxy in which our solar system is located, would take 125,000 years. It's almost as old as my parents And our galaxy is but one of millions. And some even say tens of millions. The human heart is about the size of the owner's fist. The adult heart weighs less than half a pound, yet can do enough work in 12 hours equivalent of energy output to lift 65 tons one inch off the ground. The human heart. A water molecule is composed of only three atoms, And all of the molecules in one drop of water, if all the molecules were the size of a grain of sand, they could make a road one foot thick, a half mile wide in one molecule of water that would stretch from Los Angeles to New York. Amazingly, however, the atom itself, the water atom or molecule is largely space. It's actual matter taking up only one trillionth of its volume. Yeah. The invisible things, verse 20, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Even his eternal power, verse 21. Even his eternal power. His almighty power that is without beginning or end. God's power is eternal, and here's what that means: It's never diminished. It's never lessened. God never has to plug into anything to re-energize. God doesn't have to eat a Cliff Bar because he's hungry. God has no caloric loss. He doesn't have to dry dock to resupply. No, His power is never diminished one joule, one watt. His power is on total display every day. It is His eternal power the only way one could reject Christ verse number 21 is to do so willfully mankind's willful rejection you see the last part of verse number 20 and 20c 20 see his eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse There's no excuse for rejecting the Lord. Those who reject Christ will not be able to stay, stand before Him and say, Jesus, I just I didn't have enough information. No, they're without excuse. Mankind understands innately that there is a Creator. Even the heathens, even the, 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 the pagans of, uh, of of some far off culture and some maybe some unknown people group understand that the one who created the ear had to first hear, and the one who created the eye had to first see. Psalm 94, 9, he that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? I mean, they sang that with the psalmist. And we see that in our studies of, of people, groups that have been unreached for, for centuries. Well, why are they without excuse, verse 21? Because that when they knew God, when they had the knowledge of God, The gnosis is the word, the the, the knowledge of God. When they had the gnosis of God, they glorified him not as God. They didn't give him the glory that he deserves. They didn't give him the, 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 the rightful position in their heart and mind. They glorified him not as God. Oh, they might have celebrated the beauty of a mountain, or the view of a tropical forest, or the the wonder of a desert, or whatever the case may be. But they were not reticent to give glory to the Creator. Neither were thankful. They didn't praise the Lord for anything. Matter of fact, if you look at verse number 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, into birds, and four-footed beasts. They they began worshiping, worshiping creeping things. They were worshiping insects, that's creeping things, and four-footed beasts, cows, they're worshiping cows. I like to eat cows. I don't want them alive, but... They became, notice this in verse 21. They became vain, and destitute of real wisdom, perverse in mind, empty. That's what Jesus said over in Mark chapter 7, verse number 20 to 23. Talking to the Pharisees, he said, "That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these things come within and defile the man." It, it, it's helping us to understand that inside the heart of man is this is vainness, and they are vain, they are empty, they are worthless, they are destitute of wisdom, they are they are depraved uh, in their mind. And says that uh, that that they are uh, became vain in their imagination, in their thoughts, in their opinions. What goes on in their head becomes vain. They don't care about anything that goes on in their head. They let their mind wander. They don't keep it under control, and they just think about whatever perverse thing that they want to think about. They became vain in their imagination. And notice this: and their foolish heart was darkened. They're foolish without insight. Paul calls unredeemed man's heart foolish because of its inability to conclude. These folks that are willful rejectors of Christ, because their inability or their unwillingness to conclude from the observable, observable creation that there must be a creator. They're worthless. They're, and he says their foolish heart was darkened or moral darkness, absolutely dark. This is when everything turns dark. The darkened heart begins to think about only that which is morally depraved. You ever been around those people that no matter what you say, they can turn it into some perverted thought? I mean, everything. You just get to the point where you don't want to be around them. They're they're perverted. Why? Because their foolish heart is darkened. Because they became vain in their imagination. Not they were created in that in such a way that we're all created. Uh, though we're all born sinners and and and. and In sin did our mothers conceive us? We're we're all lost and undone. But this is elevated here because these people have seen creation. and God has made himself evident. And they rejected him. And they rejected him willfully. Why did they reject him willfully? How can you say that, Pastor? Well, because everything in creation points to God. Everything in creation points to God. It's not like anything in creation fails to point to God. And, and, and so Satan in his plan, because he's the prince and the power of the air knows that when Christian missionaries are going all over the world, they always start with folks who've never heard about Jesus Christ with creation. So Satan in his diabolical plan had a guy named Karl Marx revisit an old, tired argument that everything create was created out of nothing, and there's this spontaneous bang, and wow, now we have atoms, and everything has evolved, and there is no God, and man can do whatever he wants. The heart of man became so depraved that they can look at all of this creation in its finiteness and its order and say, ah, it just accidentally happened. When called on the carpet on these issues, the, the redundant and yet ridiculous argument is, well, given enough opportunities over enough billions of years, it would eventually possibly maybe happen no it was created by god and the whole creation points to a creator and I'm not trying to be apologetic in this message about the creation. That's another message at another time that we would love to do. You can talk to me, you can talk to Bernie, you talk to a lot of folks around here. We'd love to have that dialogue with you and not offensive dialogue in any way. But the scripture is very, very, very clear on this point in this passage that God created the world and the whole creation points to him and it points in such a way that it is clearly seen. But anyone who rejects God, rejects him intentionally. If you say, well, I'm just not going to believe that. Right, you're just not going to believe that. It's not that there isn't evidence. It's not that there isn't proof. It's not that there isn't opportunity. It's not that it's not available. You just simply, listen to me, I'm not trying to be unkind. You just simply have to look over all of the facts and your foolish heart has to be darkened to the reality of who God is. Because anyone who rejects God rejects him intentionally. He has made himself clearly seen. And so Paul is helping the church at Rome to understand. But we rightly come to the conclusion that creation is not enough to turn the hearts of man to Christ. But it is evidence that there is a creator God. And it is evidence that there is order. And it is evidence that in that order, the God of order created it. But mankind, believers, still need something more than simply the creation of the world, to, to, to not have somebody come and give more than the creation of the world, we ought not be surprised when people start worshiping things of their own heart. Turn over to Romans 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we, ha- which we preached. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich and all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Jesus on the Mount of Ascension as he's headed back to heaven to be with the Father and to prepare a place for us said this to the disciples on the mount of ascension about 120 people in Matthew 28 verse number 19 go you therefore it teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo I am with you always, even unto the end of the world so here's the the thought people need the gospel they need someone to share the gospel share the gospel yes creation points them to you but that does not that does not eradicate our responsibility to share the gospel to take the gospel to them well, pastor i mean what will they think if i share the gospel with them they'll probably think i'm weird okay they might But would you rather have them face the orge of God? The wrath of God? Well, how about if I do this and everybody else does that? No, no, no. We we don't get a pass on this. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. We have a responsibility to give so that others may go. We have a responsibility to go. Go. And share with them the the hope of eternal life that rests in Christ alone. This world is going to face the wrath of God. And what may be known of God is manifested in them. God has showed it unto them. Even the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The invisible things of God are understood by the things that are made, that he created even as eternal power and Godhead, they are without excuse. People without the gospel need someone to share the truth of the gospel with them. Paul said, I had not known covetousness except the law said thou shalt not covet. They need a preacher of the gospel. So two thoughts. Number one, people without the gospel need someone to share the gospel. And number two, God has revealed himself to you. Accept him today. God has revealed himself to you, except him today. Somebody might make this argument, Pastor, are you are trying to scare me into heaven? If that's what it takes, that's fine with me. I've got no problem with that. June 16th, 1983, third row back in a Baptist church in Port Orchard, Washington. A dude named Carl Hatch was preaching. I don't know what he was preaching about. He was just ticked off at everything. And I realized that night I'm going to die and I'm going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. And Jesus Christ loves me enough that he came, left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross for my sin. And if I will repent of my sin, that means to agree with God that I have sinned against him, turn from my sin and accept only Jesus as my Savior. I realized that night as I knelt with my father on the pew that was on the right side of the auditorium, first two people in right there that night, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and my life has never been the same and your life will never be the same either you say well I just don't I mean is it real yes it's real and if you reject Christ you reject him intentionally because you overlook all of the evidence that he has given to prove himself oh you can certainly go online and find some Anti theist on the internet. It's going to tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. But there's a God in heaven who loves you. Who said, I sent my son to die for you, and if you will repent, I will save your soul. If you call upon me, I will save your soul. Well, what would my friends think? Well, your good friends are going to be really happy. Your crummy friends might say something else, but they probably shouldn't be your friends. The wrath of God. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.